Hey, Steve. Hey, we're recording. We are. So uh, I immediately start with uh. There you go. Uh. <laughs> How are you doing this week? What's going on in Nick world? Uh, well, um, I'm doing well. I mean, my new job is kind of working out kind of well. I dig the people I work with and uh, my clientele is kind of fun. Uh, and it's an actual day job, which is kind of nice. I don't have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning anymore. So I'm actually getting more sleep. Are you dealing with any autistic related issues at this new job or sensory issues, anything like that? Uh, well, a couple of my clients are on the spectrum and um, some of the folks that I work with uh, are on the spectrum. Uh, a couple of my clientele, uh, which is interesting because some people have actually asked me questions of like, well, they're on the spectrum and you're on the spectrum. Um, help me understand, you know, how it's different for you. Yeah. And so I try to explain. So it's like a, a Klingon speaking on behalf of other Klingons. So you're like Worf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm Worf. I'm Worf. The yeah. reason, I, yeah. <laughs> because I've been watching TNG. Recently, I've been rewatching TNG. So that's why I made the Worf reference. Yeah, that's kind of my go-to when I, uh, I'm watching when I don't have anything else to watch on any of the, the streaming services, yeah. when I'm like a little stuck on like, what do I want to watch now? I'll just jump back. Into I, I just finished the, uh, the secession episode in season four where oh. they, they have the new um, Klingon high council leader or whatever. Yeah. It's like uh, Duras and uh, what's the other, I don't know, whatever the, the yeah. two Klingon, Klingon guys. Right. It's like Gormak and <laughs> Gourmet. <laughs> And Blick or, or something like that. They have weird Klingon names. Yeah. Well, what have you been doing, Steve? Um, I've been looking for new employment. Mm -hmm. um, I was planning on creating a post about this, uh, maybe, maybe making a video about it, but I haven't yet. So I'll just briefly say I, I find it frustrating as an autistic person mm -hmm. trying to play the game, so to speak, mm -hmm. when it comes to applying for jobs. Because I find yeah. it, we actually talk about this a little bit in the episode. Yeah, we do. <clears throat> but it feels like you have to play games. Yeah. So there's certain expectations about uh, how to act, how to dress, how to behave. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I try to play the game. You know, I show up for interviews wearing a, a tie mm -hmm. or a suit and tie and all that baloney. But it's still kind of annoying that recruiters and hiring managers are so judgmental about the way you appear and they judge you on small things. So, for instance, if I recorded um, a video interview in this room and I have like these toys behind me, mm -hmm. I have to be worried that they're going to judge me for my collectibles because they're going right. to think I'm weird or maybe I'm an I'm adult man child or something. Mm -hmm. And if the recruiter is a certain type of person, mm -hmm. they might not be as understanding. So that type of right. stuff is very frustrating to me. I'd, I think it's frustrating for just about anybody, but I think more so for people like because us. that has no impact on how I can do the job. Like, no, me collecting whatsoever. Japanese collectibles, Shimigami Tensai collectibles, right. has no bearing on whether I can do a job or not. That's but right. If you look at them, like, oh, he's weird. He has dolls in his room. Well, people love to to use their social expectation assumptions. They yeah. love it, and that's actually something we cover in the episode. Um, yeah, so we're talking to Ben Sorensen. Yes, a returning okay. guest and from Australia. Because we have so much trouble shutting the hell up, yeah. we spoke for three <laughs> hours with him about uh, why drop bears have so much chlamydia. Yeah. Uh, we talked about communism, equality. We talked a little bit about communism. Socialism, capitalism. Yeah. All the isms. Yeah. We talked about things socioeconomic that systems easier for us society and some of the issues that keep us so divided. Gender, yeah, we sex. talked about gender. 
talked uh, about a lot of things. Oh, we really did. We covered a whole gamut of different stuff. We did. But, that's why we went three hours. And that's why we had to break it up <clears> into <throat> two different episodes. And this is part one of that conversation uh, with our returning guest, Ben. Uh, check out our social media, uh, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz. Um, drop some comments if you can. I hit the button so we can oh, start whenever you want. You really? Did. Will you calm down? I hit the button. You know, you make so a big we can deal start about whenever my want. opener all and the all time. I, have to I can do, make a big deal about you hitting listen, start Listen, there's, there's a little razor blade in Adobe. You click the razor blade and delete all this. <laughs> he says he's going to, but he never really does all that much. Sometimes he That's does. Like I cut off like 15 minutes of the last episode, and then like the one with uh with Jamal, I cut off like another 10 minutes. I usually leave like... Like ten seconds before you say welcome, like if we're just like the last one, I was making fun of you, and I was like, That's "Welcome!" I left like yeah. a tiny bit of that, and that was it. Of course, you're gonna leave the mocking of me. All right, great. Fun. All right, so as I always do, I'm gonna do it as I always do, and welcome to On the Spectrum Podcast. My name is Nick. <laughs> so I'm Steve. Hey, it's the it's the finger. You know, out of forty five episodes, you've missed your cue twice. I think this I is becoming a habit. We're going to have to write you up at HR. I missed my cue on purpose. It's the finger. I know. You do it on a regular basis. When he points anyway, to me, I can't take so, him seriously. Uh, this is another episode of On the Spectrum Podcast. Uh, it's, as always, us. Uh, we are just two human beings who happen to be on the spectrum. Uh, we're just on this wonderful journey of trying to figure out ourselves and trying to interview other people and talk about things that may or may not affect uh, the autism community. Now, as I always say, you may hear things you like. You may hear things you don't like. You might hear things you find offensive. You might hear us curse. You might hear us use some language that you find icky. In any case, please leave us some feedback. Give us some comments on any social media. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, please, please, please leave some comments. Apparently, Spotify likes it when we talk to people. So other than that, I would like to introduce our guest for this week, which is a returning guest. Dare I say it, friend of the show, oh. Ben Sorensen, a comedian, uh-huh. actor, amazing human being from the wonderful world of Australia. Now, I, I said it before we went on the podcast, but I'm going to say it again. Last time Ben was here, we talked about the futuristic Australian Star Wars, and he had this beautiful background. And this time around, he's like in the Scottish countryside. Like it's you got a weird vibe going on this time. Although that was the library at Hogwarts behind the library at Hogwarts. Really? That's (laughs) awesome, though. (laughs) It it is actually Um, the cloak of invisibility is the fun thing to uh, to find in the library, though. Uh, It's like a game of Marco Polo, uh, except with, you know, less sensory input, which is great. Um, I think uh, the Australian Star Wars Mm. thing uh, didn't go so well, so we've been plunged back into the Victorian area, hence the uh, hence the background there. And uh, oddly, um, one of my favourite things in this world <laughs> is uh, this sort of vibe. Like, I love its interesting complexity. I can always look at it. And uh, unfortunately, this is not my real house. This is actually uh, a set shot from the first <laughs> Knives Out film. Oh, okay. I was gonna say I, I don't think they had movies. anything that nice in Australia. So, no. oh, <laughs> you know, I and will... it, and if we, if we did, it would have been stolen. Yeah, 
Uh, I, w- I will say that just about every every single guest we've had from another country, uh, Steve has had nothing but glowing reviews about all of their countries every time. Well, um, <laughs> hey, it's if like you have a get- theme. If you, I made fun of the girl from Illinois as well. So you, you did made fun actually, of Illinois. You did. It doesn't matter. It's is not it- just country. It's foreign states as yeah, well. Is- well, I was going to say Illinois is like a a, a different country. <laughs> The U.S. as well compared to Massachusetts, absolutely. Also, we yeah. we've upgraded uh, mm. the the set and the equipment since, since when you spoke to us last time. We were using a desk behind me, a black desk. Yeah, and Nick yeah. was behind me. Yeah, we were we were filming across <laughs> Stephen's crotch. I didn't have my for every episode my nice yep. camera set up yet. That's and, true. That's uh, true. Now we have lights and uh, everything. Ben enjoys the fact that we have the black on the outside. Yeah, normally I keep my black on the inside. That's right. The darkness is in here normally. But you guys got it out. It's on the wall. I love it. We're trendsetters. We dampen the sound in the room instead of dampening the sound inside ourselves. (laughs) Actually. Hello, darkness, my old friend. thinking oh that's so good so speaking speaking of dampening the voices inside um one new thing from the last time i spoke to you to this time is this fucker's medicated nice well i wouldn't cheer yet depends on what kind of medication i'm not even gonna question it prescription prescription (laughs) okay so i wouldn't even question it good for you ben getting on some drugs Good for you. <laughs> yeah. And they even help my autism and ADHD. So that's a bonus. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Um, yeah. So I, I just thought it would be really interesting to share with you guys that um, previously when I was on, I was, as as we say in the uh, in the industry, raw dogging it um, without yeah. drugs. <laughs> I still am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. raw dog in life <laughs> yeah all right i'm back i'm back i swear i'm back <laughs> and now i've gone through the incredibly expensive long torturous journey to get pills mm-hmm. to sort of help things and i had so many concerns about uh because i do um comedy and wit and writing and high energy stuff for for work or that's my whole that's my whole thing Mm -hmm. and i was really concerned that it would change my personality and change my ability to do things and it's really interesting um that it's helped me hang on to thoughts a bit better and it helps me uh have a bit more focus so i don't feel so much from the inside looking out but when i look back at my day my productivity is way better and i'm getting more stuff done rather than half finishing stuff so Mm -hmm. um medication certainly is not for everyone um but uh if you if you're struggling with how things are going talk to your healthcare provider and see if there may be some options for you to trial it because uh, i was anti for so long and now i'm like okay yeah i get it i get Mm -hmm. it I'm the exact same way, Ben. Prior to me being on meds about 12, almost 13 years ago now, uh, prior to that, I was anti-drugs. I was like, no, you can just do it with behavior stuff. Just train yourself. Just work new habits. 
Then the second I got on meds and I got them adjusted correctly and I started to feel and notice that difference, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. wow, these things can really help somebody. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, definitely. Uh, so like uh, I think I mentioned on our episode, but I know I've said it on the podcast a ton of times, uh, being bipolar, like I'm taking some mood stabilizers. And so it doesn't necessarily mm. help me with focus, but it does allow me to direct my energy better. So like, uh, oh, mm. No, no, I was going to say, I find it really interesting that mm -hmm. um, neurodiverse people normally have a comorbidity of some sort. Yes, absolutely. Be it bipolar, ADHD, or, you know, um, you know, dyslexia, or any of these other things oh, yeah. huge that, that come along. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how many um, Pokemon I have in my Pokedex. Well, I think you're you're running a little shy there. I think me and Ben have way more than you. You got to work a little harder there, buddy. Well, I haven't officially yeah. collected this one. Saying, yeah, you know? that's true. Actually, they're just they're like ghost yeah. shapes in no. my. I'm, I'm actually going to fear the day that like you go to a provider. Well, because and you I, go, hey, what else could I be? I think some of my the previous diagnoses were yeah. not correct. That's why. So like I was diagnosed with with uh, depression, yep, anxiety, and I was on medication yeah. for anxiety for a long time. Um. But then found out about the autism, and yeah. I was diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, yeah. what do you want to call it, in yeah. high school, and bipolar in high school. But I don't know which ones are correct. So <laughs> and I, I don't know. Say, I will say. You know what? That, oh, no. I was oh. going to say, that's really interesting. I actually did a post on my um, Instagram page, uh -huh. and it was this really great infograph that says um, autism and depression and it was like a Venn diagram going, here are the symptoms that are common to both. Yeah. And the confusing thing is, it is possible for you to have depression and anxiety and autism. And it is also possible for you to have autism and not depression and anxiety. Right. And I think that's where we start to get mixed up. And just imagine how much worse it would be if you were a woman. Mm. Yeah. Because... We also notice yeah. that in the um, when it comes to neurodiversity and also generally the data when you go to a doctor is that women are misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed in more cases than men. So we're having these challenges. Imagine how many more challenges mm -hmm. um, other people are having in this same situation. So I think it's a very important conversation a to have. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, all the things Steve just named off, uh, what I was going to say a minute ago was I've actually read quite often that a lot of us, especially level ones, we have tendency to get misdiagnosed, whether you're male or female, misdiagnosed with all of those things long before autism. It's almost as if mm. autism is the final last ditch effort well, on the diagnosis i mean i'm pretty sure like uh, depression is a normal human condition yeah. right and there's a lot of things about being autistic that i think can cause clinical right. depression so, so let like me just the experience of living as a autistic person yeah. i think can cause um, living in a world that's not built for let, you let me let me kind of clarify something because i hear a lot of people talk about anxiety and depression in this overarching kind of way mm. of all depression is the same all human beings feel anxiety and depression. There are certain times and places where we feel it, period. There are certain days you're going to feel it. It's to the level that it that you have it that actually creates the difference between a clinical version and everyday kind of thing. Right, right. and that, that's what I was saying. I think that living as an autistic person yes. can probably cause clinical depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not that the doctor levels, was yes. misdiagnosing me with a clinical depression or with anxiety, mm. an anxiety disorder. It's that 
the like when they gave me medications for those things, mm-hmm. they weren't uh, actually helping me that much because it was being caused by something well, else. And that's the chemical, the, how we the SSRI yeah. or whatever they were giving me yeah, would yeah. help a little bit. Right. But there were other things going on yeah. that weren't being addressed. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Like if the meds aren't working, there's got to be something else going on. The only problem, especially in America, I don't know how it would be in Australia, but I know in America, doctors have tendency, psychiatrists uh, have tendency to double down on meds. They're like, oh, it's not working. Well, we'll just give you more opposed to thinking, well, maybe we were. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's. Yeah, I I think that's part of American culture now. I think that was one of the 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 highlight was actually in um, that that it sort of clicked for me was actually in the Godzilla movie um, that came out. So they had the big American general in the Godzilla movie and Godzilla was there and they fired a nuke at it. Yes. And it didn't do anything. So then. The general's gone, hmm, one nuke didn't do anything. Let's try three. (laughs) That's how you do it. There's so many examples in American cinema of that kind of crap because you're right. That's the American mindset. What? It didn't work? Let's do it more. Like, Let's do the thing that didn't work harder. Yes, let's go bigger with it because that'll do it. Come on, every action movie, the first gunfight that happens, oh, we didn't quite get all of them. Let's get a bigger gun, shoot more bullets at it, and let's throw some grenades as well. What? Oh, that didn't really work either. There's even more of them. Great. Let's get a cannon. Yeah. yeah. Come on. So, Ben, um, anyway, yeah, I don't want to detract from this lovely conversation, but there were a couple of things you mentioned you wanted to talk about today, so I didn't know. I wanted to give <gasps> oh, yeah. you the when opportunity we... to bring that up. Well, look, when we when we start, oh, off you go. Oh, I was going to say, um, well, but I wanted to ask some questions about, well, for one, I wanted to ask you because you said stadium shows. Uh, I, I wanted to, so you're doing stadium shows. Yeah, so I've got, um, oh, as you'd be familiar with this in the States, DreamHack, a wonderful event. Oh, okay. Um, there's quite a few of them in, uh, in the States and all around the world. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely um, <laughs> eSport event. Um, hundreds of thousands of people globally go to this in all different countries. And we have one in Australia as well in Melbourne. So, uh, I'm, uh, last year, um, I did a, um, a show as part of DreamHack on the main stage in one of our large stadiums here in Australia, which is Rob Laver Arena. And, uh, looks like I'll be back this year, uh, in 2024 to do a, a similar thing. And it's, Super exciting. It's one of my favorite venues to play. Um, we're, and particularly as part of DreamHack because they've got such a wonderful setup. And most importantly, uh, a really, really great community of people that just love esports and gaming and tech and pop culture. Mm-hmm. So they are just so much fun. I doubt you would find any autistic people there. No, none. We would <laughs> never hang out there. Never. Uh, yeah, we're completely opposed to playing video games. Um, uh, so, actually, it's funny. I learned most of my social skills from video games. Yeah, I learned all of mine from sitcoms, which is why I think everything should be wrapped up in thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for your wife. She's not. Yeah, she's okay with it. Yeah, she's yeah. like, can we have shorter episodes now? It's funny because I play <laughs> play a lot of video games as a. What's kid. wrong? It's an ad break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you would you would see stuff in the games and then me, I would go look up what, what it was. I'm like, what does this mean? Because there's 
when when you're you know a little kid and you see something referenced in a game, you don't yeah. know what they're referencing. Right. Like mm-hmm. there were games I played that would reference Shakespeare. There were games that I would play that would reference uh, different types of gods in mythology and all huh. these different things. And you go look it up or like some of the games I play that take place in Japan, they actually have real Japanese cultural things in it. So you learn like what a uh, uh, um, well actually I can't remember the name of it right now. That thing that they <clears throat> there's a little table that they have in Japan where mahjong. What? No, that's not. I like uh, how we just threw out a guess when I hadn't even described the object yet. You said I said table. a table. So yeah. how do you get mahjong? I, I love charades. No, they have they have a table that is uh, you know how like in a lot of Japanese households you sit on the floor. Uh huh. They have a table. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that goes next to you on the floor and it has a heater underneath and it warms your feet and your legs while you sit under it. But I can't remember oh. what they call. But anyway, I thought you said game. I could have sworn you started with yes, game. game and then you said table. And no, I was no. Like, Name a table in, game. in a video game I played, uh, it takes place oh, in. Hang Japan. on. Yeah. Uh, Hitatsu. Yes. Yeah, that's what it's called. Oh. Yeah, it's a little table that's close to the floor and it warms your legs. That's yeah, a hated that table. Yeah. yeah, I love that idea. But stuff like I that, put- like, I wouldn't know that besides playing the game. Oh. Huh. Yeah. The more you I mean, know. I was like that when I was playing Leisure Suit Larry. Yeah. See, there, you there you go. There you go. That's Absolutely. A- the ancient reference, but I remember yeah. those games. Um, and it was a little X-rated of a game, wasn't it? Oh, it was, which is so tame by today's oh, standards. Yeah. Guaranteed, um, it wasn't today. X-rated. More like it was probably like PG thirteen. Like well, right. I don't now. think it actually showed any nudity or anything like that, did it? And if you could, it was all pixelated because the yeah. graphics were so shit. That's right. That's right. Um, I think the I think the interesting thing is, um, I think people with an inquisitive mind are the best people because when we do play something, we say, we go, oh, yeah, that thing looks pretty cool. Actually, what is that? I'm going to go Google it and check it out. Or hmm, maybe I could do some research and learn something about the background of that. Um, I find they those sort of people ask the best questions and make for uh, the best conversation and also the best friends. Uh, I agree because you can always move the conversation forward. Opposed to somebody I'm, who goes, I don't agree. I'm How the, come? Oh, just because. I'm that person. Oh, my God. You're having some everything. big feelings now. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I hear something referencing like a movie or a game and I don't know uh-huh. what the hell it is or a word, I'm like, what does that mean? I always look it up. Oh. But I've been doing that since I was a little kid. That's why we talked about this in another episode, but yeah. I used to get made fun of a lot when I was a kid. Right. Because people thought I would speak. Uh, they thought I spoke funny or that I would use big words. And I'm like, uh-huh. I'm just. I learned a word, I looked it up, and then I'm trying to use it so I remember the word. Yeah. And that was something I did as a kid, but people thought it was weird that I did that. So I started dumbing down my my vocabulary. Mm. Uh, look and, at us appealing to the middle of the bell curve. And that's, that's you know, I, I can definitely relate to that too for a really, really long time. But then eventually I just started, well, then you got to catch up to me. Uh, you yeah. Know? It's not my fault that- you're... It's yeah. not my fault you're a dumb fuck. I use right. words sometimes and on the show a lot of times. Oh, yeah. It calls no me out idea. on the show all the time. I use words like, what the, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like, uh, <laughs> but well, we should so- normalize. What? We should normalize going, hey, that's a really cool word. What does it mean? I don't know that word. Tell right. me about it. Well, I mean, he'll use like, uh, um, he'll use popular pop culture words like from nowadays. And I don't know most mm. of them. Um, I forget one of the last ones he no, used. I, um, it's not just that. It's like Nick isn't necessarily into some of the online culture oh, yeah, no, or I'm politics as much as I am. No. So like yeah. if I brought up intersectionality, I think the first time I brought it up, you weren't sure what intersectionality was. I wasn't was. 100% sure. I mean, I'd heard the word a bunch of times, but it never See, really that's the other thing. to me to look mm. into it. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we, we hear the words or oh. we 
are familiar with the words. And a lot of times, because um, English is our first language, we, we, don't, we don't always um, understand the meaning of each and every word that we use because we gloss over it and understand the larger context of the sentence conversation or paragraph that it's in. Yep. And we just sort of fumble along, which is basically how everyone read the Lord of the Rings book before the movies yes. because they just glossed over well, the names. Nick's first language was actually Klingon because his mom used to sit him down in front of the TV. So he was raised <laughs> watching Star Trek. You know, there's, there's actually a little bit of truth in there that I watched way he too much He came over TV. at one night and asked me to cook gawk for dinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, No, I have, I, I've always had a weird obsession with uh, continually watching shit. Uh, like to this day, I own a Samsung Fold fo- Three, in because it folds out to a much bigger screen. And everybody's mm. like, "Oh, you can do so much more on it." I was like, "No, nah, it's a bigger TV screen. I can literally watch anywhere been, I am." I've actually been rewatching all of the TNG. Oh recently. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm For like, like halfway through the fourth time. Yeah, um, I have like six shows that I'm continually rotating through right now. And when I say rotating, I don't mean I get to the end of the season and I start the next show. So, I mean, like at any given moment, I'm continuing I, to watch the seasons of all the six I, shows. I wasn't going to bring this up. It depends what mood you're in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, and I've got one for every mood. I wasn't going to yep. bring this up, but because the conversation kind of drifted towards uh-huh. this area. Yeah. <clears throat> I mentioned to you about a little spiff I got into with somebody online about uh, astrology. <sighs> and... I thought it was funny that, that what irritated me about the whole situation. So obviously Ben doesn't know what I'm talking about. Not even. Oh, I'm, 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 fam- I'm familiar with the fake science of astrology. So somebody uh, who I'm friends with online posted something about astrology and I made a joke like poking fun at it. No, let's not call her a friend. Strong acquaintance. So I said really what it is. Uh, something along yeah. the lines of. Do you even of, lift, bro? Yeah. If you believe that rocks floating in the sky have any effect on the development of your brain, then you probably have rocks in your head. Something like that. But she thought it was funny. Oh, like, my God. Are they the same rocks? Do they, like, talk to each other? Is that how my personality changes? You've just explained it. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. Did, so oh, one so of good. somebody else who is friends with the same person got really offended by my comment. Of course they did. But what was it? I, I didn't, like take anything personally but then mm. they started insulting my intelligence because apparently this person is obsessed with astrology and it's like their religion according okay. to them they said it's their religion and how this it's ties in the, how this yeah. ties into the conversation we're talking about yes, is please. this person assumed that i knew nothing about astrology but i've actually done one of those i know you hate this term quote unquote deep dives uh-huh. into astrology because when i term. when i was younger i used to be super interested in learning about the occult yeah. uh Mm-hmm. pagan religions uh astrology uh-huh. tarot i i did all that stuff i read about all that stuff yeah. i don't believe any of it but it was really interesting to me to learn about where it came from like for instance tarot mm-hmm. cards developed from playing cards um which people used to fortune tell with regular deck of cards um <clears throat> and the and um they are still used to play people today yes, yes. they are <laughs> the 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 so if you know well anything said. about tarot well cards said. they have the major arcana and the minor arcana the sure. minor Connor mm-hmm. are all the suits, which are uh, the same as the suits of a deck of cards. Oh, is fifty two, yeah. and then there's twenty three. I think major. Anyway, make a long story short. Right. I know a lot of, more about astrology than most people. Right. About the history like of it. it, where it came from, yeah. uh, about what a full natal chart looks like, and this person sure. was assuming that I didn't know what I was talking about because I didn't agree with them. I automatically, 
I'm dumb and I don't know what I'm talking about. And they need to. She said something along. Said, well, I, I, I don't want to have to educate you about, and tell you why you're wrong. And I was like, I was so irritated. I'm like. Ugh. But how interesting is it that people assume that. And I, and I had a conversation online with someone. Uh, this, this is ages ago. Who said. So you actually research, learn and understand topics before you make a decision about whether they're real or not real or good or bad. And I went, yes, that's how you make a decision. You get valid primary information and then you assess that and then you draw a conclusion. And he's gone for everything. And I went, yes. And that's the funny thing is the reason why my friend didn't get offended is because she knows that I don't make those sorts of jokes or I don't say things like that unless I've actually looked into the topic. And you know, most of the time, I don't poo-poo or shit on things unless I actually know something about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason I make mm. fun of astrology is because I actually know stuff about astrology. Right. And and quite honestly, he'll make fun of things he likes, let alone things yeah. he doesn't like. Uh, Even if I like yeah. astrology, I'd probably make I fun mean, of it. I mean, we're all comedians, so of course we're going to make fun of stuff no matter oh, what. Totally. Um, totally. But- so one thing I, I do appreciate about this fine gentleman who sits with me is when something perturbs him, mm-hmm. when something gets in him a little bit, kind of irks him, if you will, he will put up a post. And one of the coolest posts he put up lately about crap like that is the one for astrology. He put up a post on Facebook that said, is astrology legit? Let's argue. <laughs> like, Here's the effed up part about this, Ben. He asked people to argue about this motherfucker, and people argued about arguing opposed to arguing about astrology. The fuck? I love. Yo, this I one love. person said, I, I believe in it. I think the blah, blah, some bullshit. And this other person goes, oh, I don't think it's right. It's a fucking pseudoscience. Yeah. And the person said, I'm not going to argue with you what I believe in. And they responded with, I don't, that's what the post said, is to argue this I shit. don't understand why people treat it like a religion. And I said, okay, here's a few easy ways to deconstruct the idea of astrology. First of all, how- What a fucking tangent we're on. Oh, yeah. How, how did it. people decide which collections of stars to pick out that is to true. assign to what animals? And also, what names? <clears throat> because did you know in India, they have different names than they have in other parts of the world? The well, the views are also a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, so else, which, so which version of it. How do we decide which stars are which? Yeah. First of all, and then why is it based on when you're born, not when you're conceived? And what if you have a C-section? Valid. Valid. Is it? Does it still count? Yeah. You didn't exit the birth canal. What if you like? I don't know. This is a bunch of. So then the other, and then the other thing is, mm-hmm. what if the doctor was ten minutes late with putting your your time of birth on your birth certificate? Right. Or, you know. It's totally arbitrary, but um, we see things like um, religion and uh, also astrology and the concept of God develop with the frontal lobe in our brain. Yeah. You know, and there's lots of other really cool theories uh, about all of this stuff as a way to help us understand a very scary, complex society. Yes. The funny now, thing about it, sorry, I interrupted right. you, but one of the funny things to me about astrology is it seems like a lot of the <clears throat> the people who are into it, uh-huh. forgive me, it's a stereotype, but it, I, it's largely true. It's like white women who are secular, 
So they don't have, they don't believe in God or like Christianity or anything <laughs> no, else. But like that, astrology becomes their belief system. <laughs> right, right. So <laughs> then, then we go, is the belief in astrology uh-huh. linked to a level of privilege? Um, I would absolutely, absolutely say it is. Um, I, I would honestly say that believing in crystals and that's such a very good thing to say and fucking whatever and fucking <laughs> astrology, like all of those things that, you know, we kind of lump together. I would say it's absolutely a sign of privilege. I mean, there are some religions where I can't quite say it's, you know, it's exactly that. Um, but those things I absolutely can. Because I've never seen a poor person I've, come up to me and like, oh, I've got a quartz crystal. This is going to feed me. I have this, you know, character. That uh, I might have told you about this last time, but I've thought of it recently oh, again. Yeah, yeah. I have this character I created yeah. where I go on stage and I dress up as a woman and I talk to the audience about uh, astrology, crystals, and essential oils. It's a character called Grace Astor and it's like a parody of that type of person. Yes. Yeah. So it's um, really good. Too. I, I, I love it. I, I have the audience tell me about problems, things they're dealing with, and I come up with ways to heal them. Yeah, with the power of yeah. crystals and uh, look, I, I I love that, and um, uh, I tried that uh, in my early days when I, you know, was a fan of studying the occult. Um, and most people, uh, I'd get my agates out, and they most people didn't want to see them. No, yeah. <laughs> um, I I think that um, my my favorite line is, uh, science doesn't give a fuck whether you believe in it or not. Yes. And I think for me, I like the scientific process and uh, how it categorizes the world and how it grows and evolves itself based on uh, information and evidence and collating that accurate and more accurate information. And I think one of the best things that we could ever do for ourselves, even as adults or as kids or as school anywhere, is to understand what that scientific process is. Yes. So we don't have a fear of it because I notice people that believe stuff just go, I feel strongly, so it's real. Yeah. <clears throat> it is possible. Yeah. You're a Capricorn, you feel- are you? Oh, oh. <laughs> it's going to be the whole show, Ben. I swear to you, it's going to be the whole I, fucking look- show. Uh, I don't believe in astrology, but that's typical for a Sagittarian. (laughs) (laughs) Good call. Um, No, I completely agree with you. When people don't understand the scientific method, and a lot of people claim they understand it and they try to break it down in the simplest of ways, when they don't understand how it functions, how it works, how we come to the conclusions that we come to, and those conclusions are not definitive and absolute. It's always a growing process. It's always learning Mm. more. A lot of people miss that. They're like, no, uh, science proves facts. No, science is constantly double checking behind itself to make sure we have the most accurate information for now. It's not about it's not about this is what it is. And that's all there is to it. No, then. But then part of this, I I had this today today. Where uh, where is it? Um, So uh, the uh, universe. Oh, hang on. It's on the phone. Let me check it out. It is. where, where are we? The University of Toronto um, had a, uh, a library research competition uh, or grant thing. So they had a whole heap of um, PhD candidates come in and 
uh, do you know different research projects to collate a range of <clears throat> studies to crunch the numbers and do all of that. So um, the headline that came out of that uh, was uh, is it's in all of the all the news uh, at the moment, and it is don't drink juice, drink Diet Coke instead. What? <laughs> yeah. Don't drink fruit juice. You're better off drinking Diet Coke. This is what a study said. So I went, I call bullshit. Uh-huh. As you should. And all of these articles didn't actually reference anything other than the University of Toronto. Or University of uh, wherever it was. Yeah. Um, and that made it quite hard to find. And they didn't actually link the research paper that they were talking about or the person who did the research. Right. So anyway, I hunted it down. I read it. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, it says that um, the issue isn't drink Diet Coke or juice is bad for you. All it said was, be aware of the amount of sugars that you consume, and it is easy to overconsume sugar in drinks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, juice has yeah. a lot of sugar in it, especially it depending does. on the type of fruit. Like yeah. orange juice has a totally. ton of sugar. However, if you if you eat four oranges, you're fine. <clears throat> right. Because it's got the fiber and everything else in it. But this what the actual study was saying is that because you know, Amer- Americans don't use the metric system. And love to measure things in anything other than understandable terms. That's exactly right. Um, it was saying that um, juice had eight, eight and three quarter teaspoons of sugar in a serve, and Coke had uh, nine and three quarter teaspoons in a serve, and Diet Coke didn't have any sugar; it just had a whole heap of chemicals. Right, it's got aspartame in it. Yeah, so which makes um, my brain that good. Yeah. It, it, so it by cause seizures. Yeah. So can't, by can't. reading, so by reading the actual research, right, we're able to say, oh, that doesn't tell. That's juice is bad. No, that's not what it's saying. No. Um, is it a uh, the question that that research asked? Isn't is diet coke good for you? It was. Uh, it's easy to consume too many sugars via drinks. Mm-hmm. How should be, we be aware of that? How does that affect your diet long term? I think I so, should petition the government to give me a grant to do this type of research because, I mean, all I have to do is look at the fucking nutritional content on the side of the package. Here we go. Study done. But if you, un, in a society, if you underfund education long enough, mm-hmm. you will end up needing to do this. So here, here's one thing I'll point out because I, I read a lot of behavior research in, in, Every time this guy or anybody sends me a, a supposed quote unquote news article um, that it says some study said X, Y, Z, I come across that problem. I can never trace it back to the original research or when I can. The research didn't say that at all. It was somebody's interpretation. No. And the downside totally. to that is the journalist could be smart as hell at being a journalist and could be, you know, very worldly and very cultured. But that doesn't mean they know a lick of shit to be able to read that research paper. 
especially when it comes to behavioral stuff. You are they're, they're absolutely correct. The fuck out of it. And so when <clears> I see people online, and this this is where I'm going to go with this, when I see people on social media stuff talk about autism, and they're talking about misinformation, or we have to combat misinformation, but then they're also providing a level of misinformation, it amazes me because y'all just read the research. Like there are some traits, and I'm not going to name what they are because I don't want to. So if you were a good that, but. If you were a good journalist, yes, you would tag and reference the core research in your article. I think you would have to. I, I think it should be a absolutely. Have to. I think it should be a have absolutely. To. Um, I think it it's should possible also... that there's a level of either malfeasance or purpose purposeful deception. Well, it could be. I mean, I, doing I, don't, that, I don't doubt like, that actually. I mean, how often do you see, even on things not related to scientific research, where yeah. The facts are um, presented in a way to mislead people. Well, that's that's kind of where I was going with it when it came to like what people talk about on social media. Fox Profitability News. of clickbait. Yeah, like if you or espouse... what do you have in Australia? What is it? Sky News or whatever. Uh, look, it's all owned by Rupert Murdoch, so it doesn't really matter. But it's like the Fox News of Australia. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, it is Sky. It is over here. It is Sky News, Sky. and it is owned still uh, by. Uh, it's still owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, and they they do the same thing. You know, you take some uh, nugget of yeah. truth and you twist it so that it right. you know it fits your narrative. But, but I would say people do it on both sides of it because it's whatever works to make people more galvanized in the belief that they're t being told the truth, and that's really what it comes down to. It's not even about what it is they're talking about. It's to get you more galvanized in believing that this person is more truthful than the other person. Confirmation bias. There you go. It's literally mm -hmm. like far more of that. Let, if, let's let's hone in on that. If I have zero information, zero ability to uh, process information, right. and I have an inflammatory headline mm -hmm. that provides me with an acute emotional position, I am less able to make co better cognitive decisions about content and information. Yeah. So I can get away with uh, using fragments of information, twisting information, not do it, providing evidence to support the acute emotional state that I've already been put in thanks to the headline. It's an art form. So I noticed not that 70% of the time, if you look at news articles that have kind of a, a provocative headline uh -huh. and you go and actually read the article, yeah. usually if you read the article, it doesn't match up with what the headline says. Right. But people totally. usually don't get past the headline, especially when of they're sharing not. stuff on Twitter, or, oh, sorry, yeah. X. Social, uh, uh, Facebook, any social media platform, they share it. People just read the headline. Right. And then if you actually read the article, it's like, well, that's not what the headline says. Right. The headline makes totally. it seem like you're saying this, but when you read the article, it actually says this. Right. Uh, people need to be more skeptical when they hear stuff. But at the same time, I, I will say this, too. If you're having a random conversation with somebody on the street, like. Don't ask for evidence of why they believe what they believe. Just have the fucking conversation with them. But if you're a journalist or you espouse yourselves as a news organization of some type, fucking you got to provide some shit. Like, give me something. Even give me the doctor's name. My favorite was um, I was I was flipping through Ticker Talker and I came across this person who said a research paper said blah, blah, blah. And all right. Things. Which one? Which one? What's the name? And then they said a well-known researcher published a well, paper. Give me then the you name. must know who they are. Yeah, give me the name. You read it, right? 
so they put in their in their comment section they they put a supposed link i just put the link up to the research that i was talking about before oh. that's what i was finding oh. oh good for a second there i was like oh my god is somebody else calling in somehow did we did we make this an open forum uh so but they put in the comment section they put a link to what they were supposedly talking about i clicked on the link and it was an ad for a weight loss pill but that uh, by the way by the way that was not at all what this entire clip this person had on tiktok was about he was talking about something legislation based uh, us senate or some shit and i clicked on it cuz i thought it might be interesting no it was about weight loss yep yeah wow and, and, all right thanks uh but anyway uh, anyway that's crazy let, let's round this to a direction anyway yeah, okay. so good sir uh uh wow i feel like i feel like if i continue with oh one of my questions that I was going to ask you that I didn't ask you before we recorded, but then we started recording. So I'm going to ask you now did, and I don't know if it would affect you in Australia at all, but did the writer and actor strike that happened in America, did that affect Australia at all or the, the film industry in Australia? Well, look, it did mean that for the, uh, premiere of mission impossible, we actually got Tom Cruise. So, oh. Wow. Okay. That was that was kind of cool. So there you go. Um, and we got a few, we got a few, a few more people holidaying because they're not working in right. Australia and out in Australia doing stuff. We had uh, Nicholas Cage in Perth. We had um a lot of expat Australians would c- came home because uh-huh. you know it's on strike. What are you going to do? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so we got um. So Australian writers are still writing and working. It was just the um uh the US guys that weren't. Yeah. Um we had uh they I found that the studios spaced out because I go to a lot of uh red carpet premieres and right. and movie previews and shit like that. So uh, I found that we were having to stretch out. We would nor I'd normally there was at a point that I would go to two or three a week. Uh whereas now they're less they were sort of drip feeding them to us so that they could make the amount of content that they had in the can mm-hmm. last the um as long as they could right um but you know the writer's strike the interesting thing is i was talking to um uh actually i was talking to a couple of people from from that work at disney uh and i think one of the interesting things is they had a press release with the writer's strike saying it's costing studios five, six, five or six hundred million dollars. This writer's strike, it's, it's, you know, astronomical. How could they do that to us? Mm. But then you look at the uh, demands that they had and it was a very reasonable $75 million. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you could actually fix your own problem here. They could have done it on day one, in fact. But I also think that is uh, a systemic issue mm. from a uh, a larger uh, social construct within America that it is somehow wrong to pay staff a fair livable wage. It is somehow wrong to, um, if a team does really well, to share that wealth with them, mm. you know? Um and I think we've spoken about this before. The concept of philanthropy within America is lovely. It's really great. However, you wouldn't need philanthropy if all of those big businesses actually paid staff correctly uh, and paid tax because then your government would have enough money to provide those things. Yep. In Germany, 
got this great saying that charity mm-hmm. is uh, the need for charity is a failure of the government. Yep. So, you know, when we look at the writers' strike and how that affected everyone, right. I, it's totally perpetuated by unchecked late stage capitalism. Mm-hmm. Late stage capitalism. <laughs> Didn't you have a name for that, Steve? What do you mean? Yeah, late stage capitalism. Oh, yeah. All right. He had to educate me yeah. the other day on what the hell that actually was. Well, I find there's nothing, uh, and I think uh, well, I've spoken about this before, actually, on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, the people who are supporting the concept of capitalism are slaves to it and not actually capitalists, mm. and that's that's the fun bit that we're hoodwinked into. How much capital do we actually own in order to be a capitalist? Right. Wow. Um, yeah. But there's, like I said, I don't have all the answers. Um, and as I said last time, I think we need uh, a new system which picks the good bits out of everything to make it uh, better for our society to move forward. And, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point mm-hmm. when we look at strikes right. where we actually didn't need to strike because yeah. what they were asking for was a livable wage so they can keep being better at what they do mm. so that we can have better stories. Right. We can have, you know, uh, and I think part of it now we're at a stage where we're actually losing skill sets uh, and because people aren't able to focus on those core skills to develop them to a stage. Mm. Because yeah, they need you know, that second job. They need this. They can't do things as a career, you know? Right. right. We don't need to pay writers a livable wage. They well, don't do anything anyway. So there was a writer, there was a writer, uh, and I don't remember his name, but he was on TikTok and he kept giving updates about the, the writer and actor strike. And one of the things he said in one of the, the videos, like midway through, he said, look, we know what we want to get paid, but even if they didn't pay us what we want to get paid, but just paid us enough so we we didn't have to worry about our bills. Like, bare minimum, we would still do our jobs. And and this struck me odd because initially when I was listening to this guy talk about, you know, in other videos, I was like, it sounds like you're whining about pennies. But then he said that and it kind of made sense to me of like, wait a second, this guy's talking about how he had several successful series. What about the writer who's just starting out right now? He ain't making damn like he's not making nothing. His union has not got him up to the proper scale where he's making enough money. He's working multiple jobs. And then I found a couple of actresses um, and actually one of which is an autistic actress. Uh, I think she's in California, Uh, but she was talking about the strike is hurting her more so than other other actors like the big name ones that you saw. Like, Mm. we got to strike as long as we can. Because she was living off of small bit roles and extra work, stuff like that. And now she can't do it. And all she's asking for is to be able to do her craft and pay her bills. She's not asking for a house in the hills. She's not asking for a new car. She's yep. asking just to be able to pay her bills. So if you, and this is, this is, this is my issue with, with America. And I think, uh, and th- again, uh, this is an outsider mm-hmm. uh, looking at, um, a very um, in- introverted culture um, that is is very US centric. You know, uh, I find that America is less aware of what happens outside of America 
and more aware of what's happening inside America. So how, how I see that is if I need to tip someone so that they can pay their bills, that's a broken system. If, um, if I'm right uh, there with that's, you actually. that's akin to modern slavery, you know, and the concept of needing to do two or three jobs to pay your bills. <clears throat> like if, if you work 40 hours a week and you can't afford to pay your bills, there's a problem. There is a giant, massive problem. And we look at other countries and this, this was, I, f- I feel like what we're in now, mm-hmm. I call it late-stage capitalism. I don't actually think it is because capitalists are interested in profit right. and productivity, right? right? However, a lot of the decisions that I see being made by supposed capitalists aren't about profit. They're just about hating other people and wanting other people to fail or not do well. Mm. Yes. So no, we look. What you mean. So we look at things like fear-based management. Oh, that's how you get the most productivity. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Being being kind, looking after your staff, making sure that they have the, the resources they need to mm-hmm. feel comfortable and to give them buy-in, is a way to keep staff happy and more profitable in the long run. Right. Fear-based is still super popular, even though there is a huge amount of evidence saying that that is the least effective way to operate. Right. But so it's the quickest that's not capitalism. Easiest. That's just hating other people. Right. That's right. I don't think there's an easy way to just fix it, especially not quickly. Oh, I agree. It's, you, there's so many things that have to change in order for that to, in order for those things to change. There's lots of other things that have to change. Um, because like if, if, if certain businesses just started, let's say you, you own a small restaurant and you pay your wait staff a certain amount of money, in order to make the change to pay people livable wage, mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy for certain businesses to do that, especially if they're in competition with other businesses who are not doing that. Um, mm. So there's also like from the business owner's perspective, if you're talking about a big corporation or a company that makes so, hang a ton on. of profit, so hang on. it's different than like, um, you know, no, if no. I just own a, a local <clears throat> restaurant, I'm so, paying my wage so he, a certain amount. So this was my problem when I visited America. Okay. I'm going to go to a restaurant. I'm going to order some fries for $5 and a beer for $5. So that's $10, right? Yeah. And I go, great. The menu says $10. Awesome. But it's not $10. It's $14. Because when I go up, they'll add a state tax. Right. And then they'll add a tip. So restaurants can easily do that and pay staff properly by going, your $10 thing is $14 and always has been $14. Mm-hmm. We're just going to call it $14. Right. The problem is that people aren't very bright and they'll say, well, your food's more expensive. So I'm going to go to the place where it's cheaper and then they'll pay the same amount. Yeah. Then they end up paying the same amount of money. <laughs> yeah. um, That's why I'm saying there's lots of other things that have to change in order for that to changes to happen. So I will say this. uh, I I agree with you, Steve, in the in the sense of like smaller businesses cannot compete if they attempted to do that. If they attempted by themselves, just that singular business, they would just get destroyed by all the other businesses not paying people uh, a living wage. But if this is going to sound horribly authoritarian, I just thought of it. Um, But if we 
if we started at the top. Okay? Well, so hang on, will they? So there was a, there yes. again. Yeah. Um, the the study that was done about minimum wages. Uh, the uh, McDonald's was the the example that they gave, okay. saying if if we paid staff at McDonald's a livable wage, Big Macs would be uh, twenty bucks or something. So. Mm-mm. Well, so hold on, because you're talking about yeah, a yeah. major corporation. I was talking about like mom and pop, you know, pizza place. Well, McDonald's door. isn't necessarily a corporation, though. I mean, it is, but they're, but they're franchised. Well, a lot of them are, yes. But even so, the numbers uh-huh. per site still need to work out. They still need to make a profit per site. Yes. So the argument that they made about paying livable wage <laughs> was... Um, the exam and particular, they use McDonald's as an example because they're in every country or most countries, right? Yeah. So the example they gave was um, the cost of a Big Mac versus the cost of living mm-hmm. versus the uh, server wages or uh, in the restaurant. And they worked out that the it was actually cheaper in other countries than it was in America. So they're actually using that whole I can't pay you or Big Macs will be a million dollars as a unfounded fear-based trope to to do that. And they actually, when they crunched the numbers, it was only six cents, six cents a burger. Right. Or seven cents or something. Right. So, so I was kind of thinking of like the mom and pop store where there's only one business that they're rocking. Like a lot of the franchises, want uh, a lot of those people own multiple mcdonald's franchises or multiple businesses that are all different mm-hmm. types of franchises and so they might be able to swing a little bit better but you're right like the price of things when i think i read the same thing you did um it didn't mm. really adjust the price a lot it did go up but it wasn't this huge giant i wonder leap. does that take into consideration some of the operating costs like uh um, for instance the supplies so for instance if you have a mcdonald's in japan um, what's the cost of you getting your supplies versus the cost of you getting all your food supplies at a McDonald's in Kentucky? You know what I mean? Um, I, I think I think how the study worked was a uh, uh, based on uh, the percentage of staff wages. So your cost, so the cost price of a burger would go up by seven cents. Yeah. So can can a, can the a business afford? to spend an extra seven cents per burger to pay their staff a livable wage, which other studies have suggested decrease sick days, in, improve productivity and quality of work, and pr- would overall provide a better customer experience for an extra seven cents. I right. go with that. Yeah, I was just curious because like, I wonder certain countries... Um, but you're right. Rent is different. Power is different, and all those other businesses. Yeah, like even the cost yeah. of getting the the burgers, the buns. Um, they don't use necessarily like in in de- regional McDonald's use slightly different ingredients. So like the cost of actually making the burger might be cheaper in Japan versus like here in so, the U.S. A lot of uh, the cost of mm-hmm. operating is higher in many many cases. The right. cost of um, not just the real estate, but also the material cost mm-hmm. and delivery because they, they truck all that stuff in. So I wonder how that plays into it. Um, I think, I think that the study had adjusted for that by removing yeah. that component. Right. Mm. Um, I, 
I don't disagree with you in any way, shape, or form, Ben. I actually honestly believe that most businesses, especially when they're larger businesses like that, can absolutely fucking do it. Like every time Walmart or a Walmart representative says they can't do it, really? How much profit did you have just in one quarter, let alone for the entire year? Like they and can I think part absolutely of it, do that. I think part of it is won't do it because yeah. I want to keep you below the poverty line because I make more money. That's it. It and has to be. I, and I don't hate people enough mm-hmm. to want to make them and their kids starve. Well, and I think also, that's an important cultural value. Yes, I, I if, agree with you. If you're a publicly traded company, though, if and you have shareholders, you're uh-huh. also beholden to the shareholders to make as much profit as you so, can. So here's something that I find fascinating about it. If you have more people who have more money who can shop at your place because you're the cheapest in town, your company now makes more money. Right, but if you if you yeah. go to a, a board of board uh, a board, right? Uh-huh. And you run a you run a business, say you're a CEO and yeah, you yeah. decide to pay everybody a livable wage, right. but you have all these shareholders. Yes. the shareholders are gonna say, what the fuck are you doing? Like cause I think most people who they might maybe long term, maybe long term it would benefit uh-huh. the business. Yeah. But unfortunately the way business works is they look at they look at it by quarter and they look at it by short term profits. They don't look by long term profits. Well, why don't we look at the countries that did this and notice? Yeah, that but you're not. Prices, gonna, what I'm saying is you're what? not going to be able to change the way these shareholders think. I've I've no. I've got some big no. I've got some big feelings, oh. and I'm only interested in this quarter. So if you could just destroy the mm-hmm. business so that I could get more profits in this one quarter. I'm going to worry about next quarter. But that's, but next that's, how, quarter. They, that's yeah. how they look at it. Well, like, of course, that's how yeah. they look at it. A lot of businesses it. don't look at things. Uh, well, right. once, once they're publicly traded, they don't. If right. you have a, a, a shareholder, they don't look at things like, you know, five, t- so, six years down the road. They look at. So not every business. So not you are correct. Not every business is publicly traded. Yeah. And what we need to do is encourage. So once upon a time, we had a the proportion of and it, mm-hmm. it's. Uh, in Australia, it's like this, and I presume um, the uh, the flow is very similar in uh, in the US as well as it is in most uh, democratic capitalist economies. There was originally a lovely mix of uh, privately owned and publicly traded companies in most industries, and what would happen is the public uh, the privately owned businesses don't need to butcher their own business and the customer experience to make 20% profit increase year on year on year, which anyone will tell you is totally unsustainable Yes, because it's privately owned. If you make $5 million a year, uh, that's still pretty good. Even if you go up by 2% or 1% or no percent, you know what I mean? Mm, So, what what happened was they were the benchmark of those industries, which kept um, the shareholders' spreadsheet drive for unrealistic profit at bay because the publicly traded business needed to compete with the higher standards, more flexibility, and... Uh, uh, different world of the privately owned businesses because the privately owned businesses as a going concern, I want to give this to my kids. I want my business to be solid. 
I want to provide for my family. So I had a more long-term view as opposed to silent investors in a publicly traded company that just want their return. And if the return goes down next month or it looks like it will, I'll just sell it and move into another business. Right. And that's that's kind of what I was saying as far as like that's an obstacle to trying to change yeah. the, the way we do things. There are a lot of privately owned businesses in the United States, so there is a good mix. But you got like um, a lot of the big tech companies are all publicly traded. You got mm-hmm. Apple, Google. Yeah. Uh, well, because it's I think it's probably the reason why publicly iPhone, also comes down to capital rising as well. iPhones go up a hundred dollars every year. I wonder why, you know, <laughs> and it's not costing them more to make them. Yeah. And they're using um, the other interesting thing can produce them. The other thing we're not talking about as well as a society, because mm-hmm. uh, this all comes down to uh, everyone should ha- be able to work hard and have a livable wage right. to pay their bills. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have to like everybody. Um, but I don't want to see them starve, mm. uh, particularly uh, if I, they're providing goods and services for my business. Um, so the other thing we're not talking about is maximum wage. I'm, I'm sorry. So maximum wage. You mean like not a War- thing? You mean like Warren Buffett? I think uh, Warren Buffett. I think at some point um, stopped. After he made a certain amount of money, yeah. he started just giving the rest away because right. he's like, "Oh, I made yeah. enough." Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, what do you need it for? He, he's self-imposed, but well, I'm just saying. So, let me talk about that concept. Yeah, yeah so please, we have I... so we have some really interesting ratios here. Uh huh. So, this is easily legislated. We know that CEOs and top end of town are pretty greedy. Mm-hmm. Even though they don't need the money, they want more money. It's all, all about more. It's a culture we have. I Easy want a Scrooge McDuck piggy bank that I can swim in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, although I tried that when I was a kid, it hurts. Yeah, diving into a pile <laughs> got, of coins probably is not probably doesn't yeah, feel right. We have we have fifty cent pieces Ooh. in Australia, and they've got sharp corners on them. So, yeah, not good. Hurts. Um, so when we talk, so there there is a um uh another another ratio uh-huh. uh that we have. I don't know if it's overseas, but it's definitely here in Australia where we look at the ratio the maximum ratio between lowest paid worker and highest paid worker at uh-huh. any business. Yeah. So part of maximum wage is going that ratio between your highest and lowest paid can be no more than X. Okay. So if a CEO wants to get paid more, uh-huh. he has to pay the lowest paid worker more in order to unlock money for him. And therefore the whole scale moves up together. So a rising uh, tide lifts all boats. Well, but how how would that work with a publicly traded company? Because again, he the CEO is beholden to the shareholders when it comes to how much they're paying people and how much yep. profit they it's, make and all of that. If it's if it's legislated. Yeah, so then they so just here, they, what they would do, this is how they would do in the US. What they would do is they um, they wouldn't pay themselves uh, a wage. They would just give the the person equity in the company. There yeah. you go. They, uh, they avoid the. That's why Elon Musk doesn't actually have uh three hundred fifty or four hundred billion dollars, yeah, whatever yeah. he's actually worth. He doesn't actually have that money. No, it's all in tied up in assets yeah, yeah, and yeah. stocks and stuff. That, that yeah. way, it's not actually a paycheck because he doesn't actually pay himself a wage. Right. Yeah. Um. Here, but then it comes back comes back to the concept that um no matter what we do no matter what we suggest no matter how many great ideas we come up right. with it's that underlying concept that 
I want you to give me all of your energy and life and still starve, and I'm okay with that. That's, that's the underlying problem. I will sacrifice you for my profit so that I can sit on a beach and do nothing. Well, if we get hungry enough, we can just eat the CEOs. That's what I say. You've only got to eat one. So, so uh, I will say this, though. Anyway, so, like, this got rather deep in, on, a, on another yeah. tangent. Let's go back to astrology. Oh, back to, okay. <laughs> All right. So my rising uh, sign is. Yeah, I don't even know enough about astrology to joke about. My it. moon sign. My moon bullshit. is in Virgo and my rising sign. Oh, my good God. Is, yeah, my star uh, sign is Piranha. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, wow. My star sign is Madonna. Oh. Madonna. Madonna. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bird kid reference. Yeah. I my, love that movie. my Madonna's in vogue right now. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Your Madonna's in vogue. Um I was it. gonna say my Madonna's in Britney. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Mm. Too soon? No. No, never. I There's love- no such thing as too soon of a joke in my world. I think yeah, all jokes should be it. said no matter what. Uh even if it's in poor taste, say it anyway. Like when Gilbert made that joke the day after 9-11. Yes. yes. Everyone, everyone just groaned. That's fine. Because quite, mm. quite honestly, quite honestly, you if, had a joke if, about his plane taking a detour into the Twin Towers. Uh huh. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I'll say this much: like jokes in poor taste. Okay, they're in poor taste. So be it. If you don't find it funny, fuck it. You don't find it funny. If you think it's too early, that's because you've still got some shit to process, right? But other people might need that moment of somebody telling that joke to allow them to be able to process it. To be able to open a yeah. conversation to talk about something. Unless bad. you make a joke about Israel, because then you're just anti-Semitic. Whatever. So. Um, Look, I think uh, the other thing is when we look at those jokes in poor taste. Yeah. Um, as I as comedians, mm-hmm. it's important for us to self-assess and work out where that line is. To go, is it, um, is it horrifically cruel? Am I on the wrong side of this, or? Am I using my comedy and my skills mm-hmm. to highlight something that we need to look at, think about, and understand, or a historic event that should not be forgotten? I, I, for example, yeah, I feel I feel like that we still make mm-hmm. uh, some of us can still make Nazi jokes. Because we're also seeing a new wave or a new rise of um, fascism in some areas. Yeah. So making those stopped doing. Yeah, it's actually why he stopped doing Nazi jokes. I used to do a lot more Hitler jokes and stuff, but I cut down on it because of all the fucking idiots who are. That's true. Actually believing in that shit nowadays. Yeah. All the neo Nazis and stuff that are popping up. I think it's important for us to. so jokes are not there to make light of the uh, the situation if done correctly. It's about highlighting a time when humans were terrible to each other right. so that we do not forget it. So right. that it comes up and go, why do I why do I find that funny but also feel bad? How do I feel about that? What does that mean for me? And to have that opportunity to do that introspective thought on the drive home. And uh a lot of those things should never ever be forgotten. The That's idea like, uh, of 
So comedy is to help evolve, I think. Continue. Somebody was talking about astrology the other day. I brought up the fact that, well, you know, astrology, Uh uh, the astrology, at least that most people talk about is based on uh, Mesopotamia in Uh the Middle East. And it was the names of the constellations we based on the Greeks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they said, well, it's been studied for thousands of years, so it must be legitimate. I'm like, yeah, you know, the Greeks came up with astrology and also man-boy love. So yeah, yeah, they did. I guess that's that's pretty yeah. legitimate, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Apparently, yeah. we should just allow that to happen again. Um, no, I, I will say um, I, I I am under the impression. I, just say I like consent. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it, too. Um, um, and I, when, when I like it, the idea that people are able, old enough to to knowingly give consent. That's my disclaimer. Yeah, Keep going. There you go. Um, agreed. Uh, when it comes to comedy, I actually um, I had I had this conversation with my ex-wife at one point who who believed in a certain type of comedy, and she she believed that um, responsible comedy. There you go. That's the bullshit. Only punching up. Uh, what? Only punching up. Oh, I'm punching up. That's yeah. a all right. Uh, so I'm under a different impression. I'm under a different belief. My my honest opinion about comedy in general uh, is and and actually I I believe this for like any art form whatsoever. Um, just do it. Uh, just do it. If it offends somebody, okay. Um, if you do it to the point of to be malicious to hurt then I think you're not even doing art anymore. You're just a hateful human being. But if there is some level of I'm attempting to do this in, in earnest, in jest, in, in good faith, I'm attempting to do this, with. but my personal opinion is, you know, I, I don't believe in hurting people. Um, mm. I, I think, okay, you just wrote a, a bad joke then. So be it. I think... Uh... But I don't believe that that... I'm trying to be careful so, with my words, but at the same time, when no, I'm I get honest it. with I, my opinion. I watched the most uh, recent Ricky Gervais special. Oh, God, I love that man. And right. this is what he said, which yes. kind of relates to what you're saying. He said, um, if you get up here and you make a joke yeah. and people will get offended by it. Like, if I make a sexist joke, that doesn't mean I'm sexist. If I right. make a Nazi joke, right. that doesn't mean I'm a Nazi. Right. You wouldn't see a guy play a Nazi on TV and then think that he's actually a Nazi. Because right. yes. he's playing a character. When yes. I'm doing comedy, right. I'm saying things that I don't believe because you're telling jokes. You're trying to make people laugh. So you don't necessarily believe everything you say when you tell a joke. Here to me is the difference in it. Okay. So it's like a job interview. Right. To me, the difference is this. If you're at a diner, okay, at two o'clock in the morning and you say something horribly sexist to the waitress or server uh, and she gets offended by it, you're not doing comedy. You're an asshole at a diner at two in the morning. Now, there is a difference. Right. Yeah. Like you get on a stage and if you say something anti-Semitic on stage, you're on stage. Like the purpose of you telling that is for some level of of, of humor or laughter or shine a light on something, whatever the case may be. You have And also when it. we when we say on stage, yeah, doing a show, right, not preaching a sermon. Right, because no, 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 comedy no. and preaching a sermon totally different. Completely, if you're totally, yeah. And I think some people go, "Ah, you're you're inspiring the rise of blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Cool, I'm happy to take that on board if people are following what I say." However, mind, I need to alter what I say as that as that movement grows because that's not my intent. That's not why I do comedy. We don't want another Russell Brand. 
Well, so what I was going to say with that, and wait, do we hate on him? Is is that that where I don't, we're at I don't right think now? that Nick knows I much have about no what's going on. No idea. Uh, so Russell Brand, yes, um, super eccentric, really funny. Yeah, yeah, uh, in his younger days, yeah, yeah. So now he's um gone a bit occultish. He's a little more political. Like, he's he's kind of like a conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I watched a couple of things he put on the YouTube's there. His whatever podcast or show or thing that he espouses some shit on, uh, and I just chalked it up to dude's got an opinion. Um, I mean, I can always put everything in that light, right? Like every comedian I've ever watched who's up on a stage, whether they're giving a true opinion or not, I kind of go, oh, okay, they're talking. Um, to me, it's when a comedian is doing an interview on Jimmy Kimmel, Conan O'Brien, whatever you have for talk shows in uh, Australia. Um, when they're on those shows and they give an opinion about something, mm. that's when I start to listen to it as their personal opinion. Right. Yeah. But when they're up on a stage, no, like when me and Steve are doing improv on a stage, on a show, like we've advertised it's fucking comedy. No matter what we say at that point, I don't think there should be any anything more than, oh, they said words out loud. I also I also think the concept of comedy, uh, I don't know about you guys, but my my framework for comedy uh -huh. is more. I am fascinated by linguistics and uh -huh. the mechanics of jokes. OK more so than the actual joke itself interesting when i when i hear a joke that i love i go oh my god that is genius the mechanics of that are brilliant and how you've played with words and so succinctly it's beautiful i love it yeah I'm, I'm as opposed to going it. you're talking about xyz and that's yeah. why i like george carlin so much i like Me the too. way that he played with the english language the way he played with words. very much so and pointed out things that we say all the time mm -hmm. that don't really make any sense, but they they make sense to us. But when you actually break it down, they don't actually right. make any sense. Uh, same thing with Gallagher. Uh, I was a big fan of the stuff Gallagher did. Not the watermelon um, Russian thing, but the word stuff he used to do. I used to love. Yeah. Uh, and I, go ahead. I loved his work in Oasis as well. In a, oh, that's uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the two of the Gallagher brothers, right? Um. There's like so some of the comedians that I used to love, too, though, is like Dennis Leary, who didn't do that as much. But he kind of pointed out moments in life that we kind of accept, but we shouldn't. Uh, like yeah, one, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite jokes of his and, it, and it's it, nuanced. Like, yeah. He's telling a story about watching a hockey game. He's a big fan of hockey. He's from Boston. He's watching the Bruins and he goes to reach into his fridge and grab a beer because that's what you want. You want hockey and a beer and I'm in the middle of it and I'm watching him play and I grab a beer. I open it up. I drink it and bleh, cranberry. Someone put cranberry in my beer. To me, that's a real honest humanistic moment, but he's also bitching because why would you put fruit in beer? And he, so he also talks about how He's not the brightest guy in the world. Maybe people love this shit, but God damn it. Keep the fruit out of my beer. But that's a like that's a moment any one of us could have where we get very surprised. We expect one flavor and we get this totally different ugh, thing. That's a real humanistic moment. And I always loved like how blown out of proportion his anger was on a regular basis. Um, unfortunately, he quit doing comedy. Otherwise, I'd still watch him to this day. Well, he reminds me a little of Kevin Hart in that way, and a little of Ricky. Except Jones. taller. 
Yeah, well, yeah, he was much taller. He was like 6'2". <laughs> uh, like two Kevin Hart's. Yeah, exactly. Well, he also used to smoke cigarettes on stage a lot, and he was in that that era of, of comedy, late 80s, early 90s, where everybody was just attitude about everything. Everybody was the smartest, yeah. most cynical guy on the block. So I also I also think that comedy, yep. uh, if we look at comedy from like the the thirties uh-huh. through to today, yeah. it really does. We are, uh, I think, comedians are the bards of our time. Right. We talk about uh, and spread social messages, and we are aware of uh, changing culture, and sometimes precede. Uh, a culture change because we kind of see highlight- the horizon. Because we're we and for and it's not even I don't, for some people I think it's a conscious thing, but for most people I think it is osmosis through the comedic process. Okay. Of how do I look at the things that are grating people? Like we had, uh, there are uh, some great uh, female comedians that were talking well before the feminist movement about uh equality about uh both gender and pay equality and talking about you know the experience of being a woman in a man's world mm. and that was almost like an icebreaker to society going yeah i relate to that as uh, for women going yeah i relate to that and to men going, oh, is that how my wife feels? Is that how my partner feels? Is that how my sister feels? What about my mum? Mm-hmm. To go, I had no idea that world existed, but you've presented it in a safe way where I yeah. don't feel threatened to actually think about things that are not part of my world. Right. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, like, even when, because I mentioned before, like, if somebody says a joke in bad taste, even if two people go and watch that comedian, they don't like anything he says, they're totally offended by it. They're still driving home talking about the jokes. Yes, they're talking about how bad the jokes are and you can't make a joke about that topic, but they're still having a conversation about that topic. And then the next thing, next cultural thing is, are you actually offended or do you feel like you should be offended? To be continued. Part two is coming soon. Thank you for tuning in. Special thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you, Ray Hansen.